Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. People are all the same if you look at the details of how they operate, right? They all want the basic needs, right? It's, mm. you know, they want love, they want money, they want uncertainty, they want certainty, mm. they want safety, right? So cultural divides may create conflict, right? But we all at the core root want the same thing. Mm. And you start seeing that people just want a chance at success. Interesting. Welcome back to the show, guys. I'm your host, as always, Sean Kelly. Got with me a pilot stock trader. Interesting combination. Isa Imami. How's it going? Hey, how you doing? I'm good, man. I dived in your story a little bit, and yeah. I'm really fascinated by your transition. Thank you. From pilot to professional stock trader. Yeah. Can yeah. you tell me more about that? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, you know, it, it started when I was 20 years old. I'm 33 now. It's 13 years ago. Um, <clears throat> it was just when I got into the aviation industry, quickly realized that, I mean, you know, good money, good income potential, but... You're still uh, owned by a boss, lots of politics, corporate politics, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, I tend to be an outspoken person and pretty individual <laughs> in, yeah. in my opinions and what I do. So um, it was a pretty big gamble to rely on a, on a boys club to make it, which is right. all thought, right? So, um, and I looked into how can I create my own, you know, for lack of better terms, freedom, and basically the elite always hung out in the stock market. So I looked it up and naively got involved and lost mm-hmm. a lot of money, but eventually <laughs> figured it out. So were you trading while you were a pilot or after? Yeah, while. Oh, wow. Yeah, while. So it was, I, I tried to to get as many afternoon shifts as I could yeah. uh, to be involved in the markets during regular hours, Eastern right. time. Um, and being on the West Coast, that worked out favorably because usually I could you know, go to work like one o'clock, two o'clock in the mm. afternoon if, if I could and, and be busy in the mornings. Okay. So you weren't trading while you were flying? No. <laughs> no, 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 nothing like that. Yeah. Yeah. Were you day trading? What was your strategy? You know, I started out like most people getting involved in penny stocks, day trading. And, yeah. and that's where I found, you know, <clears throat> there was there was obviously upside potential, but the downsides outweighed the, the upside, which mm-hmm. shied me away from it long term. And what I started realizing is instead of being interested in these big home runs, if you just if you just get more fascinated by, you know, introducing uh, investment principles where like you actually look at sound companies and trade those sound companies right there is a way faster game than holding and hoping for average returns every year mm. because you can actually start compounding your account week by week right maybe not 300 percent, but four or five percent a week compounded across 40 50 weeks mm. that's a way bigger return long term than holding for seven eight years seven eight percent i should say per year right so yeah. your approach is to get four to five percent a week and let that compound ideally yeah 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 because like i said when you run that long term it's it's just the numbers are astronomical it, it yeah. actually gets to a point where um the position sizing you, you can't you can't trade a full-size account really anymore because your account size will be too big to mm. trade to even get four or five percent right. that's a good problem yeah so then you reduce the expectation and that's what i would say more money brings the 
the lower expectation as to how, how it performs. Make 1% a week with more money. Right. You make still really good money. Yeah, because once you're <laughs> trading millions, you probably can't get 4 to 5% a week. No. I yeah. mean, it depends what you get into, right? But yeah. um, most, of the, most of the things in the positions of stocks that I like getting into, they're, yeah, you wouldn't be able to push that kind of size. Yeah. yeah. Are you day trading like the news? Like, are you following the news? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. So what I usually like doing is I like seeing the, the move happen first. I call it the dog and pony show. It's, mm-hmm. it's where the, you know, the market making is happening in the beginning. The news gets dropped, the spot, the stock spikes, it crashes, whatever it is. And that's where usually the majority of the volume is trading. And usually what ends up happening is if there's actual legitimacy behind that news play, there's going to be fall through plays thereafter mm. thereafter and thereafter and that's where i like to actually get involved i ne- i rarely pay attention to the beginning where in the you know in the beginning when i started out um i tried chasing the uh, beginning day everyone does like everyone does yeah. and that's what the what the mainstream advice has been right yeah so yeah that didn't work for me because that initial wave is too unpredictable right yeah so it you is. don't want to be on yeah. the wrong side of that exactly and you and you never know where it's going to go ever but when it's created a reference frame and you have had time to provide and conduct due diligence on that stock in the meantime of that dog and pony show while everybody else is busy losing and gaining manipulative money what i call it you're busy doing due diligence and if there's legitimacy there mm-hmm. you go into it two three days sometimes a week or two after and, right. and, and and that's not to sit on a screen forever to look at a stock screen but what it is is you set alerts mm-hmm. and if there's something legitimate to play it'll show up wow. it'll tell you when it's ready to be traded yeah so how long did it actually take you to become profitable? Because I'm assuming most yeah. people lose money trading stocks, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, they, they always say stats are 90%, 95%. Actually, the, the rule is 90 by 90. Typical retail traders will lose 90% right, of their money within that's 90 high. days of starting self-directed accounts. And wow. that's, that's very normal. So for me, I blew up three times in the course of five years before I really got on the side of being break-even and then eventually profitable mm. and then started learning that, you know, I was in it for all the wrong reasons. I was in it for the fast money, where right. the fast money comes from strategic compounding, not the individual stock or idea that you think is going to go to the moon. Mm. Yeah, it's not like an overnight fast money. No, it's not. It's over weeks and years, right? But I still look at it as, you know, three, four, five years, six years is a way faster timeline than waiting 40 years to hopefully retire when you can get a hip replacement. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the pilot stuff, like, how tough were the hours at first? I've heard some crazy stuff. Yeah, about- you you have to pay your dues. Like in this, I mean, I, I I'm speaking for most of the industry worldwide. Like you don't just get a, a freebie shot into a position. Like even when you're licensed and you're you know able to start working, you have to pay your dues to get to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And and a and a big reason why the you know the boys club is created for lack of better terms is because the only one let people in who conform to to their ideas. Mm-hmm. And if you're not part of that group let's just say or you have different ideas than that group then it's very hard to make it even if you're good at what you do even if you have the, even if you got the right experiences so that's what pilots are called the boys club a lot of them have boys, I never, I never boys clubs yeah yeah They're, they are and you know what i can't you know i can't necessarily speak ill of it because i've benefited from from that as well right yeah. being in the right circle the right place and right time but it does hold a lot of competence back that should be in positions that they can't get due mm-hmm. to the way the industry is set up right so you know, to me, I, I called that career more of a gamble than the stock market, to be yeah. honest. There's a lot of benefits to being a pilot, though, right? You got to travel the world. You got some yep. good networking. Yeah, absolutely. There is. You see the world for what it is. What do you mean? Well, what it is, is people are all the same if you look at the details of how they operate, right? They all want the basic needs, right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, they want love. They want money. They want uncertainty. They want certainty. Mm. They want safety, right? So cultural divides may create conflict, 
right? But we all at the core root want the same thing, mm. which is where you start seeing the life of what, what it actually is. And, and you start seeing that people just want a chance at success. Interesting. They yeah. really do. I think deep down they do. Even if they're having a hard time, they want a chance. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I just went to Bolivia and I, I even saw that there, to be honest, even yeah. though it's like a poorer country. Yeah. People want the same things. They want it. Yeah. yeah. And, I'm, and I'm sure when you were in Bolivia, people were probably still happy, but they're, they would love to get a break if they could to, to get into something that they don't know about. Right? Absolutely. Because that knowledge gap is usually what prevents the, the success. Yeah. Yeah. You learn a lot while traveling, man. I yeah. always recommend because some people don't ever leave their city or their state yeah. or the country. Yeah. And I always recommend to go out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you had a rough upbringing though, right? Yep. Before you even became a pilot, you went through a lot to get there. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear more about that story. Yeah, man. I mean, it's a standard sort of zero to hero story, I feel like. I mean, I don't consider myself a hero, but that's the saying, you know, zero mm-hmm. to hero. I, we, you know, we were refugees in Sweden. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm Persian Turkish. I'm, I'm not Swedish, as you can tell. <laughs> I have blue eyes, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, we went to Sweden and my parents, after they, you know, they were in Iran and then I was, I was born there, um, they, they realized that there was no future, mm. right? So they went with nothing but the, you know, the clothes on their back basically to Sweden, started from scratch. And I got a chance to, to experience growing up in a socialist country. Sweden mm-hmm. is, you know, heavily socialist, social benefits and everything, right? right. And you start realizing that... Um, Socialism has great social benefits, but if you've got appetite for financial freedom, that ain't it. Mm-hmm. So in about eight, nine years of being in Sweden, really working hard, my family were like, you know what, we're not going to do this. Our, mm-hmm. our, our peers and friends in the U.S. and Canada are, are putting in half the effort and getting further along. Right. And um, we came to Canada. I was 13 years old. So when you say socialist, what are you paying in taxes? Is it super high? Yeah. I mean, Sweden, it's not uncommon to be in the 60s, 65 <laughs> on, obviously, income brackets. And yeah. Stuff. But, but yeah, it's, it's high. That's super high. Yeah. So it's, it's hard. Um, Incorporation is obviously a bit less. I mean, there's still money in Sweden. I say Sweden's one of the richest countries. They're known but, for their banking, right? Yeah. 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 But, but still, like, it's the, the people fund it yeah. at the same time, right? Your pin post on your Instagram caught my attention. The first sentence was, uh, you believe that life is unfair. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by that? I think life is unfair in the context that, you know, people don't start out with the right privileges. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't start out with the right um, with the same level of consciousness. What I mean by that is, you know, consciousness to me is if you're wrong, you have the guts to look yourself in the mirror and say you're wrong. Mm. What do most people do? They rather be right than admit they're wrong. Right. So then they can't get conscious. So mm-hmm. when they can't get conscious to how, you know, what to, what to do about the very thing that they want to solve, they stay in a very limited mindset. And then they start blaming their circumstances and their lack of privileges for why they can't get ahead. Right. So I think it's unfair in the sense that, you know, people think that they're supposed to be given some sort of an advance in life and a, and a handout in life, and when they don't get it, they get upset and they stop going after the thing they're supposed to go after it. And, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and what I mean by unfair in a perspective is I wish, you know, more people could realize that, listen, the first step, if you've got nothing, is recognizing that you probably don't know a thing or two about the thing that you, don't, that you want, right? right? So it's unfair that you don't have it, probably, but... It's not the end of the world. You can still go after it. You can still make it. And you just need that knowledge gap that mm. you're missing. Yeah. And so surround yourself around the right people. You know, I, I saw something the other day on Instagram. I can't remember what it was I saw, but, but it was really good. This guy was talking about, you know, you have a choice of working at McDonald's or in a country club, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, in the country club, you're going to make connections. You'll learn how things work. You'll hear conversations that are going to probably be on the path of making money. Right. McDonald's, you probably won't. No. So why would you choose to go to work at McDonald's when yeah. you have the choice to work at a country club? Both are serving, serving service jobs, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so where's that conscious choice? That's you. Yeah, I think because people assume it's harder, they don't want to put in the extra effort, right? Correct. Yeah. Right. And I think that's where the the thing is. You've you've got to be willing to do the thing that you probably don't want to do. Yeah. And it's tough. Yeah. I've seen you say in order to grow, you need to be uncomfortable. Yep. And I think people aren't willing to even get to that point of being uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, it's fear probably, right? Yeah. Fear of a bunch of things. It could be looking stupid. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to fail. Yeah. Nobody wants to look stupid in front of somebody else. And now especially. everything's broadcasted these days. Right. So when you start a company, everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Everyone knows what you're up to. Yeah. I think, um, I think as a as a sort of movement, we got to stop. We got to stop shaming failure. Mm. Right. And if I think we stop doing that, more and more people are going to stop feeling like they're bound by these artificial standards that don't actually exist. I love that. Yeah. It shouldn't be like something to make fun of. You know, everyone fails. Yeah. I think, you know, there, I can't remember the exact line from Friends, the, the <laughs> show, but, you know, when Monica was dating that rich dude, right? And it's like he was a Moss 800 something yeah. before he became who he was. And that's such a true statement. Like, it's not the first or second thing that's going to usually work. Right. Not so for all. me, it was five years of not making any money and looking like a probably like a complete loser to people I was talking about that I'm going to be a stock trader. Right. So, you know, of course, there was moments where I was doubting that I was going to make it because people necessarily didn't believe my vision because mm. I wanted to fly airplanes. And I wanted to trade the stock market and I want to play pro drums as a, as a drummer, professional drummer. And oh, I, nice. so, so all three things I achieved now in my 30s. But in my early 20s, there's probably one or two people who actually supported me. Wow. Did your parents support you? My mom. That's it. Yeah. So my, my father passed when he was th- when he was forty four. I was thirteen years old. So, wow. Um, you know, so it was my mother, and then when I finally met love my life, Brittany, she was the other person that supported me. Only these two people were in my life that really were like, you know, what you're gonna get this, even though like you know, nobody else really believed in what I was doing. Yeah. Peers, friends, whatever, and. I think there's also sort of a comparison analysis that happens. You know, friends don't always necessarily in the beginning want to see you do better than them, especially mm. when you're young. It's a good point, right? It's, it's tough. That's it's something like innate, right? It's it's weird. It's a herd mentality, right? Yeah, because it's it's threatening to them if you get ahead, right? And you could kind of feel it when they think that way too. Yeah, it comes out in in usually the conversations, little comments, yeah, like witty remarks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. So like right now, sorry to, to no, pay off, but yeah, it's like right now I'm sponsoring um, one of our family members to go mm. and become a pro golfer. Mm. The odds are against them. Yeah. But we're still doing it. So you believe in supporting your family? Correct. Okay. Absolutely. Some people like to separate business, family. Well, the way I look at it is getting to an arbitrary sort of mountain of power mm. where you have authority, influence, whatever money that you want. Being there alone is pointless. Mm. You need relationships. Lonely. You need to you need to lift the people immediately around you. Right. But it, it comes not through the form of handouts. It comes through them also wanting that lift, mm. which is a mindset play. It is. It can be super tough. Yeah. Especially someone working corporate their whole life. Yeah. That shift is tough. Yep. I've seen you talk about wealth depression. Yep. So I didn't even know that was a thing until I saw you talk about it. I actually had that yep. at one point. Did yep. you have that also? Absolutely. When I, when I crossed a million bucks. Yeah. My first million. <laughs> yeah, I had it once. Yeah, because once you have a few million, you're like, wow, do I even need to work anymore? Yeah. And you kind of get a little depressed. I, I kind of call it, you're, I think you're born once in life and then you're born a second time when you cross a financial threshold that means something to you. Mm. And that's different for everybody. Yeah. Right? So for me, it was obviously if I could be a millionaire. So the first million was that, right? Mm-hmm. So when I got there, you you realize very quickly, first off, welcome, you know, now you're the small, font, sorry, the small fish in a big pond, right? <laughs> right? 
there's so much more money out there. But what we also realize is that compared to the life that you're living, you could take a break for 10 years, 15 years at 50K, 80K a year, basic yeah. middle class salary, and nothing will happen to your life. You're right. just going to coast along. And, that, and that's pretty depressing because <laughs> now, what, now what's the point to hustling? Right. Right? And that's where I, I stepped away from flying for a little bit, mm. right? Because I had thought, it was, it was pitched to me, the idea that, you know, being wealthy and rich and my first million being the first step of that. So you made that from piloting? No, 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 from trading. Oh, from trading. Yeah, from trading, okay. yeah. So my, 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 my learning was that, okay, well, if I get to this level, I should just retire, right? Isn't that what we're all shooting for? Yeah. Right? And then I realized very quickly, no, like I, I actually love what I do, mm. right? But I don't love the monetary aspect of, of what I do. Right. Because it's basically restricted and it's it's scarce and and there, there isn't easy money as a result of your work ethic like your work ethic isn't necessarily rewarded all the time doesn't match it yeah no so but with trading it was as a direct result of my, my mind mm. the asset was the mind and the growth of the mind was more money yeah so you have to find a different reason to want to keep going after that once you don't need to need it for immediate needs anymore absolutely yeah so with us being in a recession right now and the stock market being cr- kind of volatile, are you down a lot of money? No, no, because I don't sit in any individual positions. Got it. Right. So my idea of diversification is if the market's hitting a top, which it has. So right now we're towards basically the third quarter of 2023. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the market hits a top, which we've now had since the run, right, um, of that of the war that we had, the crash that we had, we've had a run since then. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's. To my mind, even if it's a possibility that you may lose out on some gains, I'm not interested in sitting in diversification during those times because mm. those times are usually when corrections happen. Right. Um, my belief is if you're if you if you've got the cash, or what I the more sort of advanced strategy of this is if you secure debt against cash mm-hmm. assets, right, then you start getting a an, you know a interest rate based way of making money if you understand how to trade because. You're now not paying income tax on debt, right? You're mm. paying interest rate, which is a write-off in your incorporation to trade that capital. Mm. That capital has to be secured against cash, right? Wow. But you're not paying income tax on debt. That's that's the wealth play that most people usually Whoa. don't ever touch. Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that's that's why like, if you look at like most CEOs worldwide, right? Yeah. They'll, they'll take a little bit of salary, right? But they want the majority of their pay in stock. And the reason for that is once their stock, once they've come in and they've you know quadrupled or five x the stock of the company, yeah, they can go to whatever bank they're banking with, private banking, and secure a collateralized loan against the value of the stock, usually eighty percent. Wow! So you could get cash for that stock. Yeah, at you know usually prime rate, and you get credit at prime rate. So if prime is let's say six percent, they'll get it at four and a half. Dang! Because it's secured loan. So that saves them all the income tax. Yeah. So now they're paying interest, not income tax. I'd yeah. rather pay four percent, five percent than forty percent. Hundred percent. It's yeah. a huge change, especially if they're making five million a year. Yeah, they're saving millions. Yeah. So this um, all depends on how much they hold in stock, obviously, right? So they, yeah. they usually strategically, and they have their planners and, and their financial advisors and what they do. But um, yeah, most CEOs, most executives at these, you know, Fortune five hundreds, etc. Like they're they they rather get paid in stock. I did notice a lot of them have like yeah, low salary just to cover expenses, and then yeah. majority stock. And one of the biggest things that you know, again, th- this is one of many things that plays a successful trade is you you know look at how the insiders are behaving, mm-hmm. and and that's easily found. Like they're called SEC form fours. Yeah. Okay. You look at an SEC form four, you start seeing how an insider is behaving. If they're buying up their own stock, something's likely happening. <laughs> Yeah, Be yeah. between the lines. 
I right? love that. Uh, I love that website that follows Nancy's trade, Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's but, like seventy and she's making tens of millions. It's but it's insane, right? Yeah. Because it, you know, people think that trading is rigged and and is a gamble. It really isn't. What what is the gamble is your lack of knowledge. Mm. That's it. Yeah. Fix that. It ain't a gamble anymore. And also, I feel like people get too emotional. Yeah, but but that's because they they define money. And and I would and one of my messages and one of the reasons like I've wanted to start podcasting because I'm new to this, right? Yeah is I want, to, I want to start spreading the message that, you know what, like the definitions you have around money ain't usually it. And you usually only realize that once you have a lot of money. Mm. So I think a sort of, you know, humble movement should happen where people who don't have money or have not much money should be honest with themselves that they don't really know what a lot of money is like. Mm-hmm. So that the things they're defining it to be are probably not true. So they're chasing all the wrong reasons. Right. So if they can start getting down to what they actually value and they understand that money supports those things that they value, now you effectively have a reason to start going after money. Mm. And endless money is pointless. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a limit, right? Where yeah. it stops losing that, starts losing that meaning almost. Yeah. And, and there's two types. I mean, you have the spending mindset and the investing mindset. A lot of people want a lot of money just to spend money. Yeah. They just want to be a consumer. Right. They don't really actually want a lot of money. They just want to be able to spend a lot of money. Mm. Where I'm like, okay, well, what's like, what what good does that do long term for you and and let's say your generational wealth? Is mm. that the only reason you want money? Well, then I think it's gonna get pretty boring and pretty frustrating when you're not making money easy, because your yeah. reason's not big enough. Yeah, you go down that rabbit hole, you're gonna end up losing it all too. Yeah, if you're not investing. You're it. not valuing it. Yeah. So how what what's your percentage breakdown with what do you invest back? Yeah. So in terms of the profits I make. Yeah. Yeah. So usually I like sitting mainly in cash. Mm-hmm. And and only invest when I see opportunities, right? Okay. So um, another another thing that I really am a big believer in is that real estate's not necessarily the thing that makes you rich up mm-hmm. front. Like it's not really a poor man's game to go into real estate and expect to become rich. Like real estate's typically a place where you park capital when you have a lot of money to park. You don't right. want that sit in the bank, so you'd rather sit in something else, like a physical asset that you can, you know, make money off. Yeah, of. yeah. So Usually, I like sitting in cash unless I see good real estate deals, you know, multifamily deals. Like, you mm-hmm. got, you know, build, building 20 units, you put money in there and you, you make rental property off, rental income off of that property. Yeah. Right? Um, and typically, I like going in IPOs now. Okay. Like initial public offerings. And that has to happen through the, through the lens of, you know, being around different types of investors. Yeah. You know, there's incubators and obviously there's uh, what, what they call venture capitalists, mm-hmm. right? Um, and being involved in those endeavors and activities because you don't you don't just want to be sitting there trading 10 20 million dollars at a time mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just the money will get to a point where i think even if you put you know the the, the most you know mastered individual from a mindset point of view and put them with a 200 million dollar account there will come a point where they will start making emotional decisions. Right. We're still human, right? What I think is, well, you're capable of those. You're capable of stretching the limit of where you start emotionalizing money, right? Mm-hmm. I think at, at you know five to ten, fifteen million, it's it's easy to to sort of not look at that as a thing that you're too worried about if you've got a strategy on how to grow it. Right? Yeah. But once you start getting into massive amounts of money, right? Um, I think it gets very hard to just put that all in one position. Yeah. So, so you need to, to reward, invest. right? Yeah. So diversification to me is not something you start out with. It's something you do to hedge your bets later on. Right. Right. A wealthy person should diversify. Someone who's got nothing to their name should go in on one income producing skill. Mm. Right. So learn trading really well. Learn Amazon really well. Learn dropshipping, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. Learn that skill really well to, so you get some capital under your name. 
and then diversify into different streams of income. I love that. I just saw yeah. Alex Ramosi talk about that too. Actually. Yeah, that's yeah. right. He did talk about that. It's strong. It's the only way to go. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, so in terms of like, because you made over 10 million trading stocks. Yeah. Now, are you taking loans out against your portfolio yeah. balance? Yeah. And then you're reinvesting that into other assets? Yeah. That's like a money glitch. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> but it's it's the game of the wealthy, right? And then you need to back that with life insurance as well. There's another part that a lot of people miss too. And again, it's because it's not talked about enough, right? right? Um, is is you need to like you need to be insured with your your capital. So if you're worth twenty thirty million dollars, right, you need to insure that. Yeah. Right. And when you insure it, there's different types of insurance policies that you can also get into. But the, the insurance types that you want to get into is the ones that you can invest. So if you can invest life insurance, let's say you're worth twenty million and you back fifteen million of it with with insurance, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you got monthly premiums to pay for that. Mm. But now you have access to fifteen million dollars of capital. That you can invest. Yeah. That crazy. you didn't have before on top of your current assets. Wow. So wealth scaling happens when you back it up with insurance. Mm. Right. And I think like honestly, the uh, the easiest way, like I think I did the hard way, like because I went straight into line of lines of credit to start trading. I think mm-hmm. the better way of looking back at even what I did would have been going into a life insurance policy, paying the monthly premiums for that to have mm-hmm. access to a capital, let that compound for a few years and then pull the excess capital that I have mm. and put that into the markets. That would have been a way better way. Wow. Right? Because if you look at a five, let's just look at a basic $500,000 policy, yeah. right? A $500,000 policy, you put that on average 7, 7% year, yearly returns. After three, four years, you got a couple hundred grand, 250000 at least in your, in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not money you can pull out like the wealthy guy, right? That, you know, the wealthy executive that secures that against the loan. You can now, pardon me, you can loan, you can secure that extra 250 against a high interest or a low interest loan, I should say, mm. and then go and do high risk activities with it. Dang. So from yeah. nothing to everything. Wish they taught this stuff more. Nobody does. <laughs> well, they do, but it's, it's, in, it's behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's the proper way or most efficient way to buy a house, right? I'm buying my first house next year. Cool. I talked to my accountant today. He said not to put it in a trust, mm-hmm. but my rich friends are telling me to do that. So, like, I, I think it depends on the long term wealth play that you're after. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't know about the States. I'm from Canada. Right. But in Canada, we have something called a lifetime capital gains exemption. So, mm-hmm. that means one time in your life, you don't have to pay capital gains on a withdrawal of uh, capital gains. So, if you have a family trust, so in your case, I'm not sure about your family setup. Okay, but if you were to have, let's say, you know, wife, kids, et cetera, mm-hmm. well, the more beneficiaries exist in that family trust, every single person gets a lifetime capital gains exemption. Mm-hmm. So if you're all now the beneficiary of, let's say, a, you know, a, a massive incorporation with, with real estate in it, of course it makes sense to be in a trust. Because this now, is in Canada, right? Yes, I don't know about the States. So uh, I, that may, I actually don't know about the U.S. That's that amazing. <laughs> yes, but in Canada, we have that, right? Yeah. Um, so I believe in trust, and I think that's the way things should be set up. I think the beneficiary of most setups should be through a trust mm. um, because of the tax scheme. And the tax codes are actually written to benefit you when you have money because what that allows, a lot of people look at this the wrong way. Like they think, oh, tax the rich, tax the rich. I get it. I think that the rich should, we have almost like a moral obligation to help people out, to mm-hmm. lift them out of where they're at. Yeah. But through education, yeah. through, through showing you what to do, maybe through grants, right? Mm. Um, by effectively not taxing the rich as much, what you're allowing is allowing you know this group right for us to come and implement you know more opportunities, more businesses, more mm-hmm. jobs to help lift more people up. So like one of the things that I'm a big believer of and a proponent of is we love employing people into into my company, the the one company that we have that which is teaching the, the stock market. We love employing people who actually don't just want an income, 
but they want to learn a skill. Mm. Because now we're basically investing in them as people to learn the market and learn the stock trading. And if they want to do that long term, now they've got a platform and an individual and, and, the, and, the, and the coaches that work with me and the mm-hmm. mentors that I have to learn that. Nice. Right? So to me, lifting people isn't just a monetary handout. People yeah. think it might be a lottery payout, but it's not. Yeah. You need to know what to do with it still. And most people say, oh, I just buy real estate. Well, would you know what to buy, how to buy? Would you know exactly what to do with it? And when you start asking people those questions, usually five questions in, mm-hmm. they would not know what to do with $50 million. Yeah. There's a lot of nuances with real estate and a lot of different strategies. Yeah. So you kind of don't know what to do almost. It's easy to get bankrupt in real estate. Yeah. It is. Yeah, because if you got hit during that recession, you lost yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. Getting the wrong deal. Yeah. Special assessments times 20 units. Do you have the money to back that up? What, wait, what do you mean by that? So, for example, you go into a bad building. Yeah. Right? All of a sudden, each unit gets hit with a 50K assessment because there's got to be an upgrade done to that building. Whoa. You got 20 of them now. Jeez. So now you've got the real estate, but do yeah. you have the money to back it up? I didn't know that was even a thing. Assessment? Yeah. Wow. Because they're like assessing if this building's safe and everything. Yeah, exactly. Things could happen to the building where it's not deemed to be safe or a legal suite, we call them in Canada. Yeah. A legal suite. So if, if all of a sudden something gets hit on your building, you need to still have the capital to back that up. Mm. So that's why I always say like real estate should not be a poor man's game to wealth. Mm-hmm. It should ideally be a, a you know a mid midterm wealthy person to a, a very really wealthy person's position to maintain the wealth. It's a wealth preserving asset. It's right. not an income producing asset because most people um, the only way they could make income on real estate is if the interest rates are low. That's it. Yeah. I like that view because that's not the view you see on social media. No. The view on social media is you're going to get rich off real estate. It's yeah. Kinda... Well, it's because I think people look at what's happened in the past, right? The amount of buying that's happened in North American real estate has made the prices look that they always go up at ri- ridiculous rates, mm-hmm. right? But if you look at real estate for what it actually is, like historically speaking, it has been meant to preserve the very wealth that you've got. So if you're a middle-class person... It's designed to give you a paid-off house at the end so that you don't have to you know, pay for it anymore and right. you just re- rely on retirement income to live your life in that house. Yeah. It was never meant to give you a house that's worth now you know, 20 times as much. Mm-hmm. That was never the game of real estate. Yeah, never. <laughs> never. That was never the intent. Yeah. 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 Uh, you ever see any UFOs while you were flying? Um, once flying over Roswell. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm assuming it's a UFO, but yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. You, you do see them. Okay. Um, but I would say my encounters have been two times. One was over Roswell and once around Denver. Oh, I thought you were joking. No, no, no. You actually saw You one? see, but, but they're not, they're, they're not, like, well, how do I explain this? Like, they're, they're not necessarily an object that you can say that's a UFO, but okay. what is that? Uh, okay. So it's like right? a dot and you're yeah. like. Yeah. So to me, it's like, it looks like a weird object. I can't exactly tell what it is. It doesn't show up like at high altitudes. Mm. We see traffic, all other airliner traffic. We see them. Mm. Could it have been a military jet? I don't know. But it looks very unidentifiable to me. Mm. So to me, I don't see that as something that's possibly not a UFO. Yeah. Wouldn't the military jets be on the radar, though? They should be. But there's types of jets that can turn off their the way they project radar returns. So got it. Go got silent. It. Damn. Yeah. It's been a great episode, man. I've learned yeah. a lot. Anything so you much. want to close off with? Um, no, not really, man. I just want to thank you very much for this. Um, is it okay if I drop socials in here yeah. as well? Yeah. So if you, uh, where am I looking? Over, right over there. there. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So if you want to find out more about what I do, how I help people, or even if you just want to talk about things and get started, uh, find me on Instagram at the real Isa mommy, um, and uh, facebook.com slash Isa mommy, E I S A E M A M I. There we go. Thanks for coming on. Isa. it's thank been you. a pleasure. Cheers. Thanks for watching guys as always. And I'll see you next time.